Welcome to the Mind is Infinite podcast, a platform for discussion on the things not discussed. I just want to say thank you all so much for the amazing feedback and praise for my first episode. I was actually really nervous and to see so many of my family members, friends, teachers, and colleagues take this project in open arms makes me really happy and encouraged to make more. I do want to say that I had a main goal when making this podcast and that was to have topics like these be shared and talked about with your close friends, family members, and even people you don't know. So I really appreciate everyone who shares this podcast and even the people who just listen because it's really important to me that we no longer keep these topics in the shadows. Now, once again, sit back, relax, grab a nice drink, doesn't have to be warm this time, and enjoy. So I think for me, since my first episode was extremely scripted and it was actually completely scripted, I thought that this episode would be a lot better if it wasn't just because it's two people. I'm with my friend here, Jesse. Hello. Hi guys. Yes. And um, I don't think it being scripted, especially with what we're talking about, I feel like it would lose its um, genuity if it was completely scripted. So it's just going to be me and her talking about different things that we feel as if people need to think about when we're fighting for the Black Lives Matter movement and we're also protesting and different things to help justice be served for police brutality. Um, specifically for me, I feel like the protests are really confusing right now because the the news is telling one story, but like social media is telling something completely different. Um, I think like when I went to the Raleigh protests the other week, um, it was completely peaceful until the police were involved and tear gas started to get thrown, and that was only because there was some type there's some that there was something that happened in between when we had went into a specific building and then tear gas was thrown. But it didn't seem like any violence had taken place from the protesters. It was just police throwing tear gas, and that happened twice. Um, but before that, and even after that, we were completely peaceful, and we were just marching, and we were chanting, and we were using our voice for what we came there to do. Um, and that's only one example. We've seen different types of videos come out where a lot of um, undercover cops are the ones doing the looting and the rioting and the des destruction of businesses around the protests, and even white supremacists who are going on those sites and uh, um, tearing things up, but then like leaving, so that like. It seems as if like black people are doing that or protesters in general are doing the destruction and then even uh, white people who come in thinking that they're doing their best and like doing what they need to do and doing destruction and like graffiti and whatnot that still goes back to the black image and it's really it's really frustrating to see like white people feel as if like them doing that destruction is like helping the black community when it really isn't um, and then there's also like propaganda where um, they'll show pictures of like police kneeling and police like putting their fists up for black power and like police hugging people, hugging the protesters, hugging black people and like holding signs and like shaking hands or whatever. But then like an hour later or even minutes later, they're getting tear gassed. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just really frustrating how there are different perceptions of the protests and the riots on the media, but like, and people think that there's one way to justice, and that's why there's like so many different ways that people see it right now. Yeah, um, I honestly think that the role of personal media, like people with their own cameras um, documenting what's happening, is has become like a really important um, like mode of media. Mm -hmm. uh, like I saw somebody the other day say that, um, like in like a post on Instagram, it was part of like a black 
Tuesday, like a Blackout Tuesday thing, um, they were like, uh, Twitter isn't news, or like, like, um, news, like, news is only, like, these, uh, big corporations, and I completely disagree, you know, like, I think that this whole situation started, um, because some people, some citizens took it upon themselves to record a police officer that they believed was doing wrong, and he was doing wrong, he killed a man, Mm -hmm. um, and that's how we got to the situation we're in today, so I think that, like, when you say, like, the duality of the news is that the big corporations are saying things, but then citizens have their own narrative. Right. You know? Yeah. And I mean, like, even then, like, this, like, the George Floyd, like, justice for George Floyd would not have happened if that video had not came out. I don't think a lot of people know this, but the Minneapolis Police Department had came out with a report uh, for, like, the incident with George Floyd and Derek Chauvin, where it basically described the whole incident as if they had handcuffed him already and he was like trying to resist arrest but he like gave in a little bit and then he ended up dying later on due to medical complications. In the report you do not hear anything about Derek Chauvin putting his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes. You do not hear you do not see anything about the other police officers that were also on um, George Floyd's body with some videos that had came out most recently you do not hear anything about that and so that's why it's so important for like twitter and instagram even though now it's a little bit toxic but i think like social media in general is very important for this movement Mm -hmm. because if that video had not came out george floyd would have just been another statistic Mm -hmm. but honestly even with the complications like this man died, you know. He, and yeah, and I feel like his his knee on his neck wasn't helping. Let's say let's say it was like him going into cardiac arrest mm-hmm. for like some medical complications that he had had previous. The or, cause of death was the knee. Yeah, he the, was still bur- he was still <laughs> suffocating. Uh-huh. Yes, and that that's exactly where people are like missing the point. Mm-hmm. And like seeing stuff like the George Floyd challenge. Ridiculous. Is, explain, can you explain a little bit is, what that is? Cause it gets me heated. Yeah, it's these white people specifically going uh, on, doing this challenge where it's like they have like a friend and then they put their knee on their neck for nine minutes and then they don't die. And these people are smiling in these pictures, hashtag George Floyd, George Floyd challenge. It's absolutely disgusting. It's really disgusting and it's very insensitive towards the time because I mean, first of all, read the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like the, this is not the time for you to prove a point. This is not a time for you to be like, well, maybe he didn't die from that. George Floyd still died, and George Floyd still died under the hands of a white police officer. Mm-hmm. And his um, his death needs to be justified as much as possible. Absolutely. And I'm glad that, you know, all of the police officers have been t- held accountable, and, George, um, and Derek Chauvin has been given this like uh murder to the second degree i think mm-hmm. that's really good yeah but the, it doesn't stop here you know like we still have other people who are not um in custody like specifically brianna taylor's murderers mm-hmm. um tamir rice um there are a lot of other people out there who have died and still they the, their murderers are still doing their job getting paid whatever and it's just really scary to think about that i mean if you go back to what we were saying before about like like the personal news narrative like the only reason that these police officers were held accountable is because people made such a big deal of it like just regular people everyday like citizens your neighbors walking down like the, like those are the people that made a fuss about it and mm-hmm. so like our leaders our politicians 
that's when they decided to like actually place blame where and like punish people where punishment mm-hmm. is due right which is ridiculous like it's and it's corruption um yeah. i don't know do you want to talk about corruption with the police officers like acab let's yeah. get into it i mean what do you think about that i mean all cops are like for example like all cops are all cops are bastards i completely believe that in general because like for example like that when the national security advisor robert c o'brien said that like oh we have a wonderful um police department like our policing is perfect it's just that you know we have a few bad apples but that's not the case. We are not fighting individuals when we say that all cops are bastards. We're fighting a specific system that mm-hmm. has benefited, that has profited off of the suppression of people of color. And so when we say all cops are bastards, we're not saying that your Uncle Joe or your dad is like a terrible person. We're not saying that. We're not saying that he literally is the reason why George Floyd is dead or whatever. We're saying that Uncle Joe and your dad are working under a system and they're not holding that system accountable by working as a police officer. And they benefit from that system because if they were to commit some sort of crime in this manner, um, unless we see like the people step in, they would be almost held above the law in mm-hmm. situations like this. Um, and. I think specifically people have a word, have a problem with like the word bastard, Mm -hmm. Um, but like bastardize specifically, it literally means corrupt. It means like brutalized, corrupt. So I think that maybe that's probably where a little bit of confusion is coming from. Like they think we're calling them like this like profanity ridden word when it's like, it's just, we're trying to point out corruption, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, even when you said like, the system makes police officers feel as if they're above the law. I mean, Derek Chauvin had about like 18 cases for police brutal police brutality before um, the George Floyd situation, and um, he was not held accountable to any of those cases. We don't know if mm-hmm. all of those 18 cases were with people of color, um, but they're still police brutality cases. And the fact that he was not fired, he was not suspended, he was literally still doing his job, his regular regular job, still getting paid. Is ridiculous and the only reason why George Floyd the 19th case was the reason for him to get fired is because it was recorded and that's why it's like so important for us to realize that at, like during the black lives movement we are still fighting a system that benefits from the murder of black people black men specifically and police officers not being held accountable for their murders absolutely I mean the system, like, people say, like, throw the whole system away. That is absolutely, <laughs> like, I know it's unrealistic, but our entire capitalist society is just built on the backs of black people throughout history. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can't expect a system that is so twisted already to actually work in favor of everyone equally, mm-hmm. you know? So it's honestly, it's not surprising. Like, this is just pent up tension throughout the years. Quite honestly. Yeah. You know what else is toxic? You know what else is toxic? Performative activism. (laughs) Performative activism. Did I tell you, um, you were there for Ursula's speech? Yeah. Did you hear it? Um, I was, okay, so, like, we're talking about the, um, vigil, George Floyd vigil that happened on Thursday, mm-hmm. and, yeah, it was a huge crowd, it was a great turnout, mm-hmm. and Jay spoke, she yes. performed a poem, yes. it was so great, uh, what did she say? I was kind of in the back. Oh, well, she basically talked about, well, first of all, allyship, and, like, the importance of allyship, and, like, what, 
roles and like what it means to be an ally during the Black Lives Matter movement. But like the one thing that really stuck out for me was when she was talking about performative activism and how like people think that you can hide behind tagging your 10 friends that are for the Black Lives Matter movement. At Kylie Jenner. Yeah. And also you can like Mm -hmm. post a black screen and say hashtag Blackout Tuesday and then call it a day. Mm -hmm. Like she was basically saying that like a lot of people now are talking about this only because it's a trend and only because they see all of their friends uh, posting stuff and they just repost stuff just because they see it on their story or see it on people's Instagram but they are not looking into the research themselves and they are mm-hmm. not reading articles they are not listening to podcasts they are not looking behind the George Floyd case Absolutely. they are not researching the history of the Black Lives Matter movement they are not researching behind the civil rights movement they're just doing it because Tom, Dick, and Jerry are on Instagram <laughs> talking about whatnot. yeah it's the next it's the next trend um, I don't know I feel like it's kind of a fine line to walk because I obviously I 100% agree with you there's so much performative activism going on which um, to get into like the definition of it I have that pulled up uh, it's referring to activism done to increase one's social capital rather than because of one's devotion to a cause um, slacktivism some might say uh, <laughs> but um, no I think it's a fine line because some people genuinely do want to help and they feel um, that posting is probably their only real means to do that, especially if they're our age, like they may not have the money to donate, they, their parents may say, you can't protest right now. Um, so posting is like their only thing. Mm-hmm. It just is, I don't know. It's hard when you don't have put words behind your actions. Right. You know. And I mean like, for example, we can even talk about like celebrities roles right now. Like I was watching a, um, live with Cody Fern and Angelica Ross, who both play characters in American Horror Story. And Cody Fern is a white man and Angelica Ross is a black trans woman. And so just like those contrasting perspectives and those contrasting point of views was like a really important discussion and I really recommend people look Mm -hmm. into it. But just in general, like they both have very high and like popular platforms, but like specifically for Cody Fern, Cody Fern is a very attractive white man. And so he's going to have like a lot of white girls follow his Instagram and just look at his pretty pictures, you know, because mm-hmm. he's a pretty person. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so, like, so basically what Angelica Ross was saying was that you, Cody, specifically for you, like as a white man with such a high platform, you're going to speak to a lot of your white audiences a lot more than I'm going to speak to a lot of my white audiences. Because when you post like Black Lives Matter, when you post about George Floyd and you post petitions and protests and stuff like that, they see that someone that they admire that they follow is a like for black lives matter and so let's say little susie loves cody fern right Mm -hmm. little susie lives in a household where there's probably going to be another amy cooper that's going to call the cops on an innocent black man or has a father that is a police officer or even just a regular man that just would not care if a black man was murdered in the street minding his business. Mm -hmm. If you have little Susie thinking black lives matter and literally signing petitions and trying to donate and asking their parents for money to donate, blah, 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 blah. She's sitting in a house where she can have discussions about why black lives matter. And that's where the change is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Because when you start talking to your racist parents, that's another thing. Um, I was watching this video of a friend of mine she was talking about how yes post all you want 
but I know good and well that you're not talking to your racist parents about what's going on right now. Mm. And that's basically what it is. You have the role as white people to make sure that you are holding your white people accountable when they say racist things, when they don't understand what's going on right now, when they don't really know the idea of having white privilege or the idea that our systems have been built upon white supremacy. You have that role to teach mm -hmm. these people. You have that role to make sure that those people research because you cannot continue to go to black people and ask them questions. We are not your Google. We are not mm -hmm. your encyclopedia. We are not your thesaurus. Yeah. You have to do your own research and make sure that your audiences are the ones that are being held accountable to making sure that they get into the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, there are definitely two things. Um, yeah, those discussions that black people cannot bring into those white spaces all the time need to be brought in by the allies. Because mm -hmm. um, I hate to say it, and I would love to believe not in Durham because it's our little bubble. Um, and like I say, yeah, I hate to say it, but um, a lot like some of these white people will only listen to these points coming from somebody that looks like them. Right. And if you can be that sort of like light to them, then that is a beautiful thing, and that is the role of you as an ally. And the other thing is, um, I kind of wanted to bring up a discussion I had with my mom, because for the, for the people, uh, my mom is a Caucasian lady, and I shouldn't say that differently. <laughs> my mom is Caucasian, and my dad is a black man. He is, and my mom is white, my dad is black. So, the other day she came to me, and she said to me, she was like, Jesse, so like, what can I do? And I found that very difficult because I am just a black girl, you know? And I think that placing that um, role of like the activist, the performer, the like, yeah, the performer onto like every black person that you know, like asking them, like, what can I do? Like making them do the homework for you. That is such a taxing role, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so like, it's great. I love discussions like that at the same time because I love people to be able to see differing opinions and like just always educate themselves but if somebody doesn't come to you with this information it's a it's kind of unfair to put all of the work on like your black friend to give you the in, to give you the rundown about racism you right. know yeah and i think like even now like maybe you don't know what you can do right now and as a white person you really like there is, you've literally done everything. You've researched on white supremacy, you've researched on white privilege, you've looked in yourself to realize like how you benefit from white supremacy and how you benefit from the privilege that you have being a white person. And you've literally done everything that you feel as if you can do right now. The least you could do is check up on your black friends because seeing those videos over and over and over again and seeing your own people getting murdered at the hands of white people on social media and seeing some people agree with the justification of murdering someone is very traumatic to see. And right now, all of these things on social media are extremely, extremely toxic and overwhelming. And uh, I'm saying this only because like, I really appreciate my white friends who literally are just like, hey, I'm just checking up on you. I really hope that you're doing okay during these hard times and I hope that you're taking care of yourself. Just mm -hmm. those small things are like really important to do right now because mm -hmm. we are seeing this all from our eyes. We literally, to me, I feel as if we have never really experienced just being a child because 
Mm-hmm. We saw Trayvon Martin get murdered, what, 9, 10? Like middle school? Like elementary at, school? I don't remember. We, we saw that at a very young age. And so we have been watching those traumatic videos since we had that consciousness in our mind mm-hmm. to think like, oh, that person looks like me. And that person just got murdered for looking the way that they look. Mm-hmm. Do you so, remember like the talk that you got after that? Because I mean, my like I said, my mom is white, but even she sat me down and she was like, look, and this is when I looked a little bit like a boy. <laughs> but she was like, look, Jesse, like this is something, this is a real part of our world. Like this could happen to you. Like I don't want you to live your life in fear but i want i need you to know that this is like a real thing like do you remember i mean talks like that i didn't i didn't have talks like that no i don't think i ever really had that talk in a sense where it's like they were talking to me but they were talking about my brother you know because i i have three older brothers and to be honest with you when i watch those videos when i like watch george floyd get murdered i only saw it like two or three times but every time i saw it like i saw my brother i saw mm-hmm. like i saw my cousins i saw my close friends because it's like you you can see that happening here even though it may just because like durham is very liberal and progressive we don't think it's happening here maybe not like the way that it is in other states or other cities but I, I have that fear that like when I'm driving down the street, maybe I'm speeding or maybe my taillight is out or maybe they just want to pull me over. I have that fear that that's going to be the last time that I am alive, you mm-hmm. know? And people say that all the time. Like that has um, become like a very common phrase, I think. Like I saw myself, I saw my family, I saw my brother. And like, but that is, it is so true, mm-hmm. you know? Like it is so mind-boggling that we can all look at that situation and we don't and we don't think it's crazy that that could happen to me that could happen here you know Mm -hmm. um and i think that's a little bit of like white privilege honestly that like because you don't see yourself in that mm -hmm. video you can watch that video and you would never think like oh wow i fear for my life you know so Mm -hmm. yeah because it's like maybe you do see a friend of yours and maybe you do see someone that you find very close that is a person of color um but you will never see yourself in that situation and I think that's the borderline because like I, I know that there are white people that see that video and it's and they think it's absolutely devastating, which it is, but they will never feel the trauma that comes from seeing a video like that and thinking that that could be you mm-hmm. any time of the day, you know? Absolutely. <sighs> okay, so I guess we're just gonna shift it a little abruptly to, I don't know, some national issues. Um, Let's say the the name, the big name, Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like Voldemort. Honestly, the my mom literally won't happy. say his name. My mom. I don't call him president. Man. I mean, I don't like to call I him president. I just say Donald Trump. Mm. Yeah, I think when people refuse to say his name, that honestly gives him more power than like the power they think they're giving. By Wait, like, what do you mean? When people are like, when you are like afraid to say someone's name it's like calling them like too scary to like confront and that's like then they win in that situation would you rather be feared than be loved that kind of kind of thing kind of because i think donald trump feeds off of yeah the press yeah he feeds off of the fear and like that is like the ultimate win to have people so scared to like not say your name you know yeah and i mean like for me, with Donald Trump responding the way that he responded with, like, if the looting starts, the shooting starts. Yeah. It's painful to see. And, like, when at the press conference, uh, 
a reporter was like, how do you feel about what's going on with the George Floyd case? And he was like, very sad. See, he says, like, it is so difficult for me to, like, see what he tweets and see what he says in these speeches because he's actively saying, like, George Floyd would be so happy right now. Mm -hmm. We're doing such a great job. We're doing everything. And if you don't fact check him and just believe what he says, then I guess you'll think he's doing a great job. But at the same time he's saying that, he's actively brutalizing people in Lafayette Square that are peacefully protesting. Yeah, and also, first of all, why did he have to bring George Floyd into that tweet? Who asked him? Because it's all politics for him. It's no... Nothing is genuine. Mm-hmm. It's just about getting reelected. Yeah. Like, COVID was Imagine political. Imagine if he political. gets re- I think his re-election is possible. I think it's 100% possible. Have you seen the Black Lives Don't Matter thing trending on Twitter? Like, there are so First of all, even people that- our age that don't, like, are not even able to vote. Like, are, like, 17-year-olds and younger, like fully support Trump and not even as like a joke I think it's just a difference of morals mm-hmm. like for me you can do everything but if you if it comes down to it and like this is something that is like a moral like must that you need to support minorities that you need to support people in the LGBTQ plus community like those are something that no matter what else you do even if it's great i can't get past that and i think that some people can sacrifice that in a person yeah and first of all what i saw this tweet where it was like why is black lives matter so controversial like why is a us saying we need human rights and we need to stop killing each other like such a controversial thing for it to be like politics it's just so crazy to me and it's like the same thing for like feminism like why is women advocating for their rights and equal pay such a controversial thing in america it's such a loaded question that's such a loaded question oh my gosh it's it's and it's there's so many aspects that we can go into but like Mm -hmm. and obviously we agree with each other so it's difficult to really see like that other point of view right like for example like the podcast left right and center i think that's like first of all a really powerful podcast because you see different perspectives Mm -hmm. you know and like they were talking about the george floyd situation and like the the one guy who was i guess left was basically saying i don't see the reason why we're rushing so quickly to a conviction like i think we should play it out and continue to investigate and then the other lady was like why do we have to investigate when the video is right there like when that man put his knee on that black man's neck he died nine minutes after I don't see any type of investigation like being such a big thing, which I agree with and I totally understand, but like some people just don't believe that. And it's like, it's so crazy to see like people our age who are literally like, I don't see the issue why this is such a big thing right now. Mm-hmm. And and then it also goes into that facade of like people being so scared to like progress their opinions because they're scared of being attacked and like that, that silence says a lot more than you think you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i don't know I mean, I mean we can even like go locally with like how roy cooper really expressed his ideals and saying that like which i the, love it's yeah, great those lives matter more than the property that was destructed mm-hmm. and what what really is confusing to me though is like him uh like proposing the national guard option was like pressure from the president or was it just like him wanting to protect his people? I really, I mean, like if you have been following the news, like Trump has been 
threatening, like bringing in the National Guard. I yeah, I wasn't sure if it, if he truly was just like gaslighting, um, like scaring people with the idea of bringing this stuff in. But no, I think he's for real because isn't the National Guard like what? What did you read about that? I mean, it basically said. Um, here, let me try and find it. Um, this is in our own state. This is North Carolina. Yeah, this is North Carolina. That's why it's so frustrating for people to be like, oh, it, no it doesn't happen here. Nothing happens here in Durham. We all love each other, blah, blah, blah. That's mm -hmm. no. So basically what it said, Cooper said that it's wrong and must be stopped, but I feel like the cry of the people is being drowned out by the noise of the riots. People are more important than property. Black lives do matter. And then he said that the National Guard would be in place Sunday. Um, so I don't know if that means that the National Guard option will be accepted, meaning that if there is a lot more riots, the National Guard will be put in place. I don't know what that means, but it seems as if he is taking that option. Now, I don't really know like if that is the best thing to do. I don't think it is. It's it's just so crazy to me. Like they literally put up signs saying we need haircuts. Where where is the National Guard when white people were complaining and then we are literally fighting for the rights of lives and the National Guard is being put in. And also there were a lot of white people that went to those protests who had AK forty sevens and yeah. actual guns mm -hmm. and machetes and stuff like that. And people like, screaming at the like peaceful surgeons in the streets. Did you see those videos of mm -hmm. like of like first responders like just standing there, just being like reminding them like this is why you're staying inside? And these people, oh my god, being so so aggressive. But we're literally fighting for our rights, and it becomes like a like you have to bring in the military. And what's sad is that the military is supposed to protect us. The military is supposed to, we're supposed to feel so safe mm -hmm. when these police officers and when these leaders are here, and we're just it's the opposite. It is so sad that they are not they are not bringing any sort of peace into right. these situations. And like honestly, I think it has to do a lot with like um, okay, so like over policing of black neighborhoods. There's obviously like more reported crime in black neighborhoods because they are over-policed. Mm -hmm. I think that bringing in law enforcement just, just in more, mm -hmm, yeah. will just bring in more violence, bring in more aggression into these situations. Right. I mean, I don't know. Like wrapping it up, I think overall, as people who are in this community very young, we, I mean, Jesse had texted me and it was like, our childhood we, is over. Uh -huh. And I was like, when did we ever have a childhood to begin with? Like, we've been seeing our people being killed since we were able to think for ourselves. And like, I think thinking of the perspective of like Gen Z and like how we are the future and we really are going to be the ones to make that change, seeing people who just like put up a facade and like use performative activism to just be included um, is really scary to me because if you are not having these conversations within your home if you're not having these conversations with your friends who say the n-word in songs or even just say the n-word to their friends if you're not having those conversations with them we're not going to go any further mm -hmm. and I feel as if a lot of times us people people our age think that we don't have it like we don't have that power because mm -hmm. we're not able to vote or we feel as if like we can't do anything because we're young but first of all, the George Floyd vigil was led by two people who were- And it was beautiful. Yeah. It was so it was, beautiful. They were in our age group and they completely did it themselves. And that's the things that we need to be doing. We need to believe in the fact that we can do things at our age and we can mm -hmm. have discussions with adults and officials and people in the government at our age. 
because even if yes tokenism is going to be played because i mean we've had like the organization that i'm in we've had conversations with police and they've taken pictures with us and then they didn't do anything about mm-hmm. it and they yeah. but let me tell you that picture was right in front of their website for like a few months because it's that tokenism and we're going to be used for tokenism over and over and over again by adults because they want to put up this facade that they're listening to the youth when really they're not but that tokenism should not feed the way that you need to fight for your life and your future lives so for me personally i know that i'm doing a lot i'm donating i'm signing petitions i'm talking to my family about this i'm checking in with all of my peers and holding my peers accountable to make sure that they research these these things on their own and also hearing my perspective is really important but also just research and read and do as much as you can and take a break from social media and learn away from social media sometimes um i think that's those are the main things that i'm doing but what about you jess um i mean all the big stuff obviously donating i've gone to uh, i went to the vigil i wished i could go to more protests um i think that honestly like this and hopefully the people that have made it this far in the podcast that are listening hope like if you agree with what we've said if you don't like i hope that this sparks discussion Mm -hmm. of some type sparks even just like thinking you know like personally like reflecting on your own ideals or like coming to some sort of realization um because that's all i could hope to do um in this movement is to just like help others um and i think that it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to look inside yourself and like reflect on like your own biases and like the biases of the world and like realizing that going against like what you might have been taught your entire life is what's necessary for like change to be enacted but i think that making sure that we don't normalize these behaviors um these honestly just like racist behaviors that we see like microaggressions that happen every day just like small things big things that we don't normalize the things that we've been taught our entire lives um then I think that we can build a better future. Because like you said, we are the future. And that's a very uh, typical... Very cheesy. <laughs> it's, it's cheesy. We say, people say it all the time. It comes up all the time. But it's so true. And we right. say it every day. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mind is Infinite podcast. During such crazy times right now, being able to just sit down and talk with a really close friend of mine is something very special to me. If you didn't already know, Jessie has her own podcast for our school newspaper called The Gallery that you can also find on Soundtrap or just by clicking the link on her Instagram at Jessfoday. It is very important that you do all that you can to be a part of the Black Lives Matter movement in a positive way. You can donate to The Bail Project, the George Floyd Memorial Fund, Justice for Breonna Taylor, and countless more. I would also look into funding and investing in local Black-owned businesses that need our help during COVID-19. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.